Today I have Isaac Rochelle on the podcast. Isaac Rochelle plays for the LA Chargers and he played for me in high school. Played defensive end, offensive line. We gave him a little care his senior year. He got to play tight end, which was a lot of fun. Really fun to run behind Isaac Rochelle back in 2012. But the awesome thing about Isaac was in high school, he was such a leader, such a good kid, a person that rallied everybody else around him. And I guess that if I had, if I could explain Isaac Rochelle in one word back in high school, it was just, he was so nice and friendly to everyone. Such a great speaker, such a great leader. The sky's the limit for him, but right now he's playing for the LA Chargers. After he left us, he went on to play at Notre Dame. In 2017, he was drafted by the LA Chargers. And his first year there was uh, a rough one. He was on the 53-man active roster, and then he was on, on the practice squad. It was back and forth, very frustrating year for him. But he took ownership of all that he learned. He, in the off season in 2018, he started a new diet, started a new plan, new process, taking care of his body understanding what his body needs when it comes to nutrition and sleep and flexibility and all of those type of things that he'll talk on the, about on the podcast. Set himself up to have a tremendous 2018 football season. He ended the year with six and a half sacks and really kind of made himself a, uh, an important piece of the LA Charger defense in 2018. So here he is in 2019 headed into his third year and he talks about his goals being to be a piece of the LA Charger defense that they cannot live without. And that's really where he's trying to establish himself this year. But it's a great interview. We talk about all types of stuff. So, so talking about what it's like to play against Tom Brady, who are the best offensive linemen you've seen. Great conversations like that. I know you guys will enjoy it. Isaac, appreciate you doing the show with me, doing the podcast with me. <laughs> Your last game that you played this past year was against Tom Brady. What was that like? So, I well, the biggest thing with that game was the fact that it was freezing. And then it was like, let me think about Tom Brady. But Tom Brady, he's just a really interesting quarterback because with the defenses you run and everything you do, and even what we were doing with pass rushing and everything, you just feel like you could never be right because he's such a vet, he's so good at uh, like making changes to the offense and then even making changes to the protection. And with what he does more than anybody is he gets the ball off so fast. And a lot of people give credit to his O-line and David Andrews. All those guys are really good. Um, but he does such a good job of like managing the O-line and getting the ball off really quick. Yeah, so one of the things that you see on ESPN all the time is, is like Bill Belichick's able to take these offensive linemen that he doesn't have to pay a lot of money to, and he's able to get the most out of them. But in reality, what I always sense was, yeah, they're good and they're team guys, but Tom Brady is able to get them into the right protection. He's smart enough to know where the good pass rushers are. And that offense, yeah. he can just – it's like he, he one step – he takes it from the shotgun, one steps, and the ball's gone. So, 
even if you're not even blocked, you're not getting there. I mean, you have – well, yeah, you're right. And you have to figure, like, he's the best quarterback. He probably has one of the best arms in the league. And then he's pretty much the oldest quarterback that's playing in the league. And he's really smart. Like, he has all the all the qualities that make a quarterback unreal and that can make an O-line look really good. Just like Elka. Like, when you have Keontae and John Tatum, like, your O-line becomes super irrelevant. And it, it's more about – Look, we have two of the best running backs in the state. It's the same with them. Like, Tom Brady can make anybody look good. And the biggest thing that Tom Brady does that makes him special is he's not out there arguing to get paid more than anybody in the league. He's the best quarterback in the league by far, but his salary doesn't reflect that, which, I mean, obviously, you know, like, it allows for so much other cap space to pay other guys. So the team is just even. It all starts with Tom Brady, though. Yeah, I had this theory that the teams that are selling out to pay their quarterbacks these this incredible amount of money, they're not going to win because they're not going to have any other players. They're, they don't have any money left. And I think, like, I tell people this all the time, I think the days of the high-paid quarterbacks is going to go away very quick because it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to pay Derek Carr $28 million a year and they don't make the playoffs when you can pay in a whole D-line, like, with that same amount of money, like, it just it distributes it distributes the talent way more if you're not overpaying one guy. I think you're right, though. Like, they can't keep paying these dudes. Russell Wilson making 35 a year, that doesn't even make sense. They won the Super Bowl when Russell Wilson wasn't making that much money. Um, yeah, when he was on his rookie contract. Right, I know, but that's but that's when they their team was so great, right? Their defense was unbelievable. They had the best defensive backfield in the in the country uh, in the NFL. Um, I have this theory. I have this theory. Like, if I took seventy percent of my money, then maybe it needs to be sixty percent. All right, but maybe maybe sixty five percent. But if I have, if I'm an NFL owner or GM or whatever, I got sixty five percent of my money. I'm going to go offensive line and defense. And then my offensive line's going to be so good. There's so many good running backs in the NFL. I'm going to be able to afford one of those, and he's going to be phenomenal like Emmitt Smith was behind the best offensive line in the nation. Because, you know, Emmitt Smith wasn't a high, high – I don't think he was a high draft pick. And, you know, but it goes back to defense and uh, offensive line. But speak to this a little bit because you're a defensive guy, but somebody was telling me, no, that's not going to work until they change the rules for DBs and how they're able to put their hands on wide receivers. They're not able to. Um, what's the complaint amongst the Charger locker room from DBs when it comes to that one? About just, like, the ability to play, like, physically? Yeah, I mean, they're not allowed to. Yeah, I don't know. I think everybody – I'm not going to say everybody – but a lot of it seems like a lot of people on the back end, like cornerbacks, receivers, all of them, they kind of want like a a finesse game. I mean, like I don't hear guys complaining about not being able to play more physically. But I mean, I don't really know. I mean, our DBs, we have really good DBs. They don't really complain that much. But I don't know. I don't know if that has to do with what you're saying, though, because I think you're series right like I feel like if you can get a good O-line you can I mean it's just like what we did at Elka like your O-line solid you'll win games 
Yeah, I've been trying to sell that to the NFL and get an NFL job, but it hasn't worked. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Try to talk to Roger Goodell. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'll give him a call. Um, who's the best offensive lineman uh, that you've faced? Who's the best O-lineman I've faced? Um, Who do you have nightmares about? I don't want to go it, Just dreading it. I think it would have to be – I mean, the guys that came out of Notre Dame that I went against in college were really good. Like, for instance, Zach Martin – who was like his first year, Zach Martin and Quentin Nelson were two guys that came in and they were pro bowlers their first year. Um, they're probably the best. I think the dude from the Patriots, the the tackle, I can't even remember his name, the big guy who just got a contract with the Raiders. The like, left tackle. He was super hard. Yeah, he was super hard to go against, but that's mainly because he was like, this dude was like 6'9", 360. And it's like, he's not even good. He's just huge, and he moves all right. Um, but I would say it would be those two Notre Dame guys. You'd be surprised, though. There's a lot of really bad O-linemen in the NFL. Really? Really. I like, guess you're just big and long to pass block, or, or am I wrong? You're saying that would be better, or that's what they are? Well, that's what they're looking for, you know, it seems like. Yeah big, tall, long guys to pass block, and I feel like maybe they lose some of the run-blocking ability when they choose that guy. Well, you're right. And, like, when you look at a long offensive tackle, for instance, that you're drafting out of college, a lot of times those guys are tall and they, like, just don't – they can't anchor because they're not overweight. They're just, like, athletic big guys. Right. And I think the learning curve when you enter the NFL is like a guy who can't anchor, you're going to struggle early on. So I think that's where, like, some of the issues come. Like, trying to think, there's a guy who plays for the Browns. Now I'm just calling people out. One of their tackles, he's like – the dude was like 280, and it's like he was on his second year, and you just can't – you can't be super successful if you haven't learned how to anchor in the NFL. Right, And so I think the guys that are not good and that struggle are guys that are coming in the NFL and they're not, like, fully developed. They'll be really good, but initially they're just getting exposed. Right. Well, well, speaking of that, you talk a little bit about, you know, a little bit about understanding the NFL. What is the major difference that you struggled with, I guess, playbook-wise? Everybody just assumes, like, the NFL is this encyclopedia of, of football, but what's the major difference between um, college and NFL and when it comes to playbook, terminology, all that kind of stuff? So, our like, the Chargers playbook was pretty much the exact same as the Notre Dame playbook. So, I had – it was actually smaller. So, I had absolutely no issue learning the playbook. Like, they just recycle these defenses. So all the terms are exactly the same, the calls and like just random stuff. Like for instance, we have a cheat call that gets the, if you're an end and you're in a five and the tight ends off the ball, we get a cheat call and it puts us in a head up what we call four or yeah. four eye. Like that, that term for instance, was the same exact term at Notre Dame that it is in the NFL. So there was no issues learning the playbook. The biggest difference is understanding that 
you it's not like you're on scholarship like if you lose your job you lose your job and i just remember the first year like going through otas and going through many camps coming home and then going back and reporting for training camp and everybody was like super serious like all the older guys were super serious and i was still kind of in college we're going to camp like this is going to be fun hanging out with my friends playing football mode but it's like no this is a job like that dude has three kids that dude has two kids these guys are trying to take my spot um and then the idea that like you never can chill i mean unless you're a high contract high paid guy you can't chill because you will get fired you know speak a little bit to that because everybody looks me and this is what fred and i were talking about we were talking a little bit about you um and i, I was like you know on the outside looking in it just looks like isaac Rochelle's world is glamorous. He, he makes a lot of money, all this. I said, but Fred, Isaac lives under pressure that you and I don't live under each and every day. Like every day he's got to go fight for his job. And not that we don't have to work hard and fight for our jobs, but you have people that are fighting tooth and nail every single day to try to take Isaac Rochelle's spot. Talk a little bit about that you know, the pressure and how it can get to you if you don't handle it correctly. I mean, yeah, you're right. It's like, one, I'm a firm believer, and you kind of mentioned this, I think in any job or any environment, it's like there's stress in any environment. Ours looks different and is more aggressive and in your face. The The biggest thing is like, or I guess the, the time when you really realize it the most that it's stressful is when you see guys get cut and then you realize like, all right, I need to get my mind right. And it's stressful too, like when you first called me and I said, I'm just stressed about is my body right? Like just little stuff like that, it never stops. And I think football is super unique. And you know this from experience. It's football, especially when you're, when you're playing in the NFL and in college, it's like one of the only environments that you can do your absolute best and maximize your ability and still get cut. Right. Like I can go out and I can be playing as good as Isaac Rochelle can possibly play. I can even be making plays and being productive and you can still get fired. And so that's where it gets in your head a little bit. Um, some of the politics and things like that, that's where it can become really stressful. But it just is what it is. I love it because it's like it's stressful, but at the end of the day, like you said, it's a good job, and you are in a sense living a dream. But no doubt, it it can be super stressful. And like I'll give you an example. Fred came. Because um, we're talking about Fred. Fred came to one of the training camp practices, and I had a super bad practice, and. This was week one of training camp. There's six weeks in training camp. And I was like, Fred, I'm super stressed about this. And he was like, bro, it's not a big deal. It's week one. Nothing's going to happen. And then my coach texted me and was like, we're going to have to find somebody else if you don't start playing better. Oh, so that just gives you an example. Like, was they don't cut people year? for five. What'd you say? Was that last year? That was last year. And they don't cut people for five weeks until after that but that just goes to show you it's not like college where you're like all right why well, I, I have time to get right like they will cut you mid-camp with no issue dude i would have a rule if i was you <laughs> nobody be around me for six weeks while i'm going or whatever training camp is 
nobody can bother me. If I had kids, maybe my wife could bring him to see me if I have a day off. But I'm a, you know me, I don't know, you do know this. I'm a super stressor, man. I would have never had people out weekly. Me too. I know you are. I mean, it, it, and it's like, and when you, you know how it is because you played. Like, you have a bad practice. All you can think about is having to watch it on film. And then after you watch the film, all you can think about is wanting to get to the next practice to, like, do better. So it's just such a terrible feeling if you don't play well. You have that pressure every single day to practice well. Because people don't understand. You know this, but a lot of people don't know. Like, you have to – you have to practice well every day because they're watching practice. Like, everything is watched. <laughs> I think they watch people get water breaks these days. Um. They, they, watch, they watch our drills. I'm like, can y'all please just give us a break? Dude, now they have the drones. Um, it, it, yeah, it's out of control. And the footage, now it's – like, when you were playing, the video quality wasn't even good enough to really break stuff down. Like now it's like the video quality is like they're out there. And I'm just like, and then you get to the NFL and they critique stuff. It's so much more intense, the criticism. And they all, I mean, they watch it all. No, man, there's no way that, that as stressed as I get, I could have played in the NFL and I certainly don't think I could coach in the NFL. I remember being in college and, I would have a bad practice, and I wouldn't sleep that night. And that's how bad it was. Um, yes. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, I'm like that, too. I I mean, it's a blessing and a curse, though, because it's like you'll stress and you'll be successful at it because you won't stop until you figure it out. But then you're randomly, like you said, you're up at night thinking about how you can get better, all this crazy stuff, and you're like, man, let me just go to sleep. No, I know, man. I've been up in the middle of the night like wanting to knock myself out because it's two in the morning and I'm stressed and worried and there's nothing I can do about it. And there, I know there's nothing I can do about it at two in the morning. I can't fix it till the next day. And I just want to sleep, but I can't sleep. <laughs> I, I mean, I, <laughs> I feel it. That's why when I was on uh, like my first year, when I was on practice squad, I used to just literally would finish practice, come home, be sitting on my couch, be stressed out, like, man, I shouldn't be on practice squad. I would go work out again at night. Like, just just out of control, irrational behavior. Yes. Well, anybody that's listening to this that's friends with Isaac, leave Isaac alone uh, during training. <laughs> and honestly, just leave him alone until January, whatever, if they make it to the Super Bowl. Like, I do not like to bother you during football season because I know how I am. You know, my dad will call me. Y'all gonna win next week? I'm like, oh my gosh, are you seriously asking me this question? <laughs> yeah, it sounds sounds like Big Steve. <laughs> I know. Well, see, your dad and my dad have no stress whatsoever. Like you and I got a gene that my dad <laughs> and your dad do not have. So we really they don't I'm, understand us, Isaac. Not at all. Big Steve will be like, "What's the O line breakdown?" I'm like, "Dad, we haven't even started practicing this week yet." Um, I know, man. I know how that is. Every day this summer, I get to hear my dad like, how's everything going? How are we going to be? I was like, I'll tell you when the season's over, man. Like, tell him how it's going. <laughs> um, oh, God. Yeah. But, all right, so here's an interesting question. Um, this year you had a very productive year, and 
feel much better about yourself, even though you're still probably nervous and stuff like that, but you feel much better about your situation and yourself as a football player heading into your third season. And what was so unique for me watching you this year is your senior year at Notre Dame. I know the big black eye on you was, you know, and it maybe altered your draft status a little bit, but you didn't have any sacks your senior year. And then yeah. your first year – uh, really, uh, as a starter in the NFL, you end the in the season in the NFL with six sacks, and I'm just sitting there like, how do you go from zero to six at a much higher level? Speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I had four and a half sacks in my whole career at Notre Dame, wow. so it was crazy for me. Like people would ask me about it, and I'm like, I've never even had this many sacks in my career, so this is new for me too. But I think the biggest thing is. I just wasted a lot of time in college focusing on A, gaining weight, and B, getting stronger. And I realized, like, I'm already super strong. And the guys that are playing my position in the NFL are lighter than me. So I'm like, I don't really need to be in here just getting going, going super hard in the weight room. And I don't need to be trying to gain weight. So I focus more on flexibility and functionality and losing a little bit of weight. And I just realized that I just play so much better when I'm lighter and when I'm flexible. And then that, that opened up really like a whole nother door to just like different moves, just confidence in general, like stepping on the field and feeling like, man, my body feels really, really good. Um, and it just, in general, I think if you can discipline yourself in stretching and eating, uh, you can discipline yourself in a lot of other areas of life. So I think it just overall, like, made me a more disciplined person. But, I mean, I was 297 at one point in Notre Dame, and I weighed in today, and I was 268. So it's like I don't need to be this huge guy to be successful in football. Yeah, and, and but 6'4", 268 is still a really huge guy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. But it's like in college, and I think I told you this. I told you this probably like six or seven years ago. My strength coach in college used to be like, "You need to eat pizza and drink beer to gain weight," <laughs> and that's just like the worst possible logic you can possibly use as an athletic trainer of any kind. Last little bit of stuff I want to talk about was the see you on Sunday stuff that you're doing and, and talking about the perils of social media and your experience with it. Talk a little bit about that and what you're trying to do with see you on Sunday and let people understand and know about the dangers of social media. What we invite people to do is take Saturdays off of social media. And instead of being on social media, go do something else. So that could be really anything. Go hang out with family. Go hang out with friends. Go do something for your community. Go do football drills or other drills uh, for your particular sport. But just do something that is for you. And the reason we want to do that, again, is to start the conversation because people spend – tons of time on their phone and on social media and if you compare it to other things that we do like sleeping we're spending similar amounts of time on our phones that we are sleeping and what I always like to tell people is we talk about sleep health all the time like you need to get eight hours you need to get x amount of hours or you're not sleeping enough or you're sleeping too little why don't we have that same type of discussion around our phone and social media health like you're spending four hours a day on social media, that's not healthy. 
Um, so that's kind of what we want to get people to do. And now what we're trying to do is organize events on Saturdays for people to come together um, and do things. So we just had a phone-free game night, which was super fun. But, uh, I mean, it's simple. We're just trying to get people to start talking about healthier social media use. So just from what people are talking about, maybe your experience, you know, you and I talked about how, you know, a, a quote I learned, uh, I think I heard it from Nick Westbrook, but he, he talked about comparison being the thief of all joy. Well, on social media, that's really what we do. And that's why really, that's why we're on it. We're sitting there on it to see what other people are doing, what other people have, and then maybe boast about what we do have. And then psychologically and from a mental health standpoint, you're depressed, but it's because you're sitting around on social media comparing yourself to all these people and, and, and you don't ever feel like you measure up. Yeah. I mean, you're completely right. And it's an issue that everyone had. It's like every time you get on social media, the term I like to use is you always have some type of emotional disposition. So what does that mean? When I get on social media, I might be super excited because I got a lot of likes. I might be super anxious because in my case, like I see other people doing football drills and I'm like, I should be doing that right now. You get jealous because you're like, wow, that person's life seems so much better than mine. Um, it's very rare that you just get on social media and all you're doing is scrolling with no type of emotional disposition. So I think you're right. And the question is, is it healthy to be constantly doing that to yourself, having that emotional disposition? Um, I think there's healthy ways to use social media. I think I would tell people, okay, hey, you should definitely follow accounts that are going to uplift you or that you're passionate about because then you're not looking at stuff that you don't care about. Like I, I get on social media all the time and I'm following people and I get annoyed every time I see their stuff. So I should probably unfollow them. Um, and that's kind of a super negative way to look at it, but that's just an example. Um, and then again, what I, what I encourage people to do is like post things you're passionate about. Um, because a lot of times we just like to post our best case scenario photos or photos that we think people might like. And I tell people, just post what you are passionate about. Then you don't really care what people say about it. But I'm sure you deal with it all the time uh, with kids at Elka. Well, yeah, it's even worse than, than probably than how you know your generation to be on it. I mean, it's just basically how these kids are growing up and they live on it. And we were doing – you remember when you did youth football camp for me, you know, you didn't have a phone to sit there and look at Twitter and stuff like that. They, you know, I had to – this time – and they worked really hard, but, man, they'd be over there coaching the kids. And it was for 10 minutes, and they could not go 10 minutes without pulling out their phone and looking at their Twitter or their Instagram or – and then every single thing – and I film a lot of stuff, man, but they filmed every single uh, drill. And I'm like, what are y'all filming? Because it's not like you're going to put it on my YouTube video or anything. They, they're putting it on Instagram. Um to me, it's like it's their way of life. It's their way of being. It's very, it's very different um, than probably what even you know. But maybe I'm wrong. Um, so no, I mean, I didn't even, I didn't even have, like, I had pretty much no social media up until I was a senior in high school. Right. No, I, yeah. And then, yeah. I think like second and third graders have Instagram and stuff like that now, and phones and uh, it's and. Perfect. It's like, you know, 
it's really too like a third grader having instagram like i can only imagine what black holes you could go down just scrolling like you could you you're seeing things that you really shouldn't really be seeing until you're way older no doubt and i learned this i went to the beach last week and I, I watched a 10-year-old boy go up to a 10-year-old girl. This is how they hit on each other now. The 10-year-old boy goes up to the 10-year-old girl and he's like, you have Instagram? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, you know, I guess what's your name? What's your name on Instagram? And she gave it to him. He's like, I'll follow you. And then he left. I'm like. It's like, what are we even doing? I was like, interesting. Yeah, <laughs> well, people, kids come up to me all the time because I'm verified on Instagram. And they're like, how'd you get verified? And they start asking me all these questions about Instagram. I'm like, one, if you're a football fan, you haven't even asked me anything about football. <laughs> Two, why are we sitting here talking about Instagram? Like, it's just, it's kind of like a way of life. And people will come up to me, older people too, and, and be like, yeah, just follow me on Instagram. And I'm like, we haven't even had a conversation. <laughs> oh. It doesn't even make sense. I know, man. I, 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 I just live in the world and, and I'm trying to work, you know, weave my way through it. Last question. Um, I know you probably got to go. What are your goals uh, for this year? You know, you, you know, you had your 20, 2017 year where you didn't have the year you wanted and then you had a really basically coming out year last year in 2018. What are, what are some goals for yourself in 2019? I think a big goal is double-digit facts, and then past that, I think it's get myself to the point where I am a like key component of the Chargers' defense. I think last year I was contributing, I was useful, but I don't know that I was a key component. Like we cannot get rid of him. I need to get myself to the point where they are like, we need this guy. Uh, to be flying and I think that's the biggest thing and then as always like I mentioned to you earlier it's uh it's continue to um like just work on the routine because I think the routine all the great players have great routines and I think it's continue to figure out what works for me with my stretching routine with my eating routine sleeping all the things outside of actually playing continue to get those things better well, awesome, man. Uh, it's good stuff, man. And, and I'll certainly be praying for you as you gear up to get ready. When's your report date for, for uh, training camp? The 24th. The 24th. Oh, man, that's crazy. Well, um, man, like, I, I always yeah. end with praying. Do you mind? Yeah. All right, let's pray. Lord, we're coming for you today. I just want to praise and thank you for uh, for loving us. Praise and thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for our sins. Lord, I praise and thank you for Isaac and what you're doing in his life and Lord and all the success that he has had. And I just pray that you be with him as he goes forward and he's about to start training camp, Lord, and that he would just uh, keep his eyes on you and keep focused on being his, his best each day and and not let not not become a slave to worrying and stressing about tomorrow, things that he has absolutely no control over, Lord, that he would just release those things to you and give his best each and every day. Continue to use him as a light uh, for your kingdom and for other people. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Appreciate it, Isaac. Amen. All right. Appreciate you, coach. Yeah, man. See you later. See ya.
Pure 
Y'all better believe me. Spin the earth on my finger like round ball. I'm a globe trotter. That's easy. No lie. Boy, y'all got me messed up. Not Buddha, Mohammed, not Dane Show. Ain't no Jesus. At all. Woo! Y'all act like I ain't made where you stand. Y'all act like I ain't trying to hold plan. Act like my son ain't died on that cross. Or I ain't gave you my all. Look here, I ain't taking no loss. I love you with all of my heart. That's the reason I'm here with my hands open, giving my grace. I know that you know that I'm here. Ignore me if you won't, but the next time you spit in my face, you better just look up in the sky. Ooh, I made it. You think I'm gonna lie? When I tell you I ain't gonna take it, I got hands on the nation. Check my reputation. Yeah, that scoreboard still wanna know that my tomb is vacant. That's why. Disputed, no mistakes of plan B. In the end, you all marvel like it's deadly. Don't doubt me, but know about me. It don't look like I'm in the lead, but your ignorance don't make you safe because the worst punch is the one you don't see. Till you don't see, then I ain't done yet. Watch how the glory my son gets. The whole world's been set up, but you backwards, you upset. I, I was the one that put man on this planet, but I'm man in the planet. I'm planning my plan, and I'm planning out history. Spoiler alert. If you like it, then you should have put a ring on it. I told Sad and Nap. Look up in the sky. Ooh, I made it. You think I'm gonna lie? When I tell you I ain't gonna take it, I got hands on the nation. Check my reputation. Yeah, that schoolboy still wanna know that my tomb is vacant. That's why I'm undefeated. Amen. Amen.